leading from a place of courage and values. What a wonderful conversation I had with a lady called Bridget McAdoo. And Bridget is based in the United States and is the Vice President and Chief Sustainability Officer for an organization called Genesis. And so it was really, really quite cool in the conversation. First of all, her background and what she's done and who she's worked for and so forth, food outlets, but also it's major brands, but also NASA and other things as well. But really, really quite cool conversation, but with also, you know, substance behind what she was saying, which is really great. Now, the things that we talked about was leading with an influential lens, how to lead older generations and what it was like for her and that. And this is the question I asked her, which was, okay, here you are, you're coming in to lead a team of older people. And what was their transition like for you? Or what was the transition like for them? And it was awesome what she shared. So very, very exciting. The other thing too is really it's about how do you actually have the focus and the will to stay focused and moving through things depending on what's actually happening for you. So a very exciting conversation. And so I'm not going to hold up anymore because I'd love you to get into this interview right now and have a listen. So let's go and have a listen right now. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us. And I have a wonderful guest with me today. Her name is Bridget McAdoo. Bridget, big welcome to you. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am in the Washington, D.C. area. I live in Maryland. Okay, cool. Very good. Very good. And I've given the listeners already an introduction to you, but it just we would love to hear more from you. So tell us more about your background. I don't have a conventional background, I guess, from a sustainability perspective. I, I am a, I guess, retired engineer. That's where I did my, cut my teeth coming out of undergrad. Worked in aerospace for over a dozen years and then went into the retail industry. That's where I started my sustainability career. And then now leading sustainability as the chief sustainability officer here at Genesis. So it's been a, a beautiful transition of purposeful pivots to get me to where I am today, and which is why I love working on work that absolutely allows me to extend my my focus on having those purposeful pivots. I, I don't know about you listeners, but I just wrote down that note, those those words, purposeful pivots. That's awesome. I love I love what you just shared there. Now, Bridget, people are thinking about Genesis. What is Genesis? Because this is global, this, this right. podcast. I mean, when you say Genesis, what does Genesis do? Yes, Genesis with a Y, right? You know, our technology powers how organizations connect with their consumers. From the call center to sales to marketing, we turn transactional, fragmented customer touch points into connected, holistic experiences that allow customers and consumers to feel seen, heard, and understood. You know, our goal here at Genesis is to help organizations create customer connections in an impersonal world. So leading through experience orchestration led by empathy is what and who we are at Genesis. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Well, we've got a whole lot of questions for you now, but you know, your background, so where you're living, great place, the US, wonderful. And I see that also 
you, you talked about retail, but you've been in organizations that do a lot of retail, food and things like that as well in the past, which has been good. And so the thing I'm really quite keen to learn from you is how did you actually get into leadership? Yeah, I started in leadership technically quite early in my career when I was in aerospace. I, I was leading the operations and supply chain for the facility that I worked at when I was a contractor at NASA. And I was managing a team of engineers that supported our Mars lander rover operations that we were doing there. And as a young engineer, struck out to me was I had such a diverse team, demographically, racially. But the big thing was when you're a young engineer, especially a young woman leading older gentlemen, is how do you really get them to be on your team to want to know that they can trust your leadership, especially if you are dealing with technicians and you haven't had the tenure that they have building and doing the things that they've done for multiple years, coming in as an engineer with your degree and just saying, hey, here's my knowledge and here's what I know. I had to, it really pushed me to, one, to figure out how to lead with an influential lens, two, to build trust, three, to listen before talking and to learn for my team, right? I, I, I needed to be able to absolutely understand their perspective and where they were coming from. So while it was difficult at first, because, you know, you're trying to figure out how do you manage all these different variables, really did help me to uh, make sure that I was trying to be a, a, a leader that had a lot of breath and depth, not just kind of coming in with a position and a thought, but making sure that I, I was as well-versed as I possibly could be so that I could, you know, not just lead, but follow also. Mm -hmm. That's great. Wow. I've got so many questions I want to ask you right now in relation to what you just shared. And that is, you know, as a, as a young woman coming in and then leading a team of older men and so forth, that whole transition. Now, you yeah. talked about listening before talking, understanding the team. You want to become that leader of depth and breadth. And I'm going to come back to that actually last piece. But what was the transition? What was that like for you to come in as that young, young lady, young woman, young person coming into that mm -hmm. role where you've got actually people who are more experienced, who've done yeah. this, been there, and then they're like, who's this? What, what was the transition like for you? But also, what was it like for them? Yeah. You know, I think what was lucky for me is that I had been there for a, a year or two. So I, it's not that I was coming in cold. They knew who I was. I think it's harder if you're coming in cold and they don't even know who you are. So they knew who I was. They felt it. So I was not having to build relationships per se. I mean, you, you still have to build those relationships as you're going in. But, I, you know, when I looked at it from their perspective, which is what I wanted to do, is how would I feel if I was, was someone had spent 20 years working in aerospace and had this young person coming in, how would I feel? And, and you know, even 20 years ago, as you could imagine, being a woman in that field was very unusual. It was not a norm. And I think, you know, for them, they wanted to be, I think some wanted to be respectful. Most wanted to be respectful and tried to make sure that I learned as much as I could so that I could be successful. There were some who really struggled, I think, with that dynamic, honestly. And it was clear and evident that they struggled with that dyna dynamic for myself. I had to figure out how to not internalize the conflict that others might have because there was nothing I could do about being Black or a woman every day I woke up. It was just going to be who I was. And it was hard at first to not internalize it, to not carry it as this burden or to carry it as a chip on my shoulder, right? Because you can become angry when people mistreat you or don't give you a fair chance. 
But I think, you know, it was also a, a it was a chance for me to really kind of sew into some relationships I had with my mentors, with my, you know, the I had leaders at that time that really supported me and wanted me to be successful. And that was helpful for me to have that support so that I felt like I wasn't on an island by myself. And then some trusted colleagues that I, that helped me to navigate those waters. But, you know, sooner or later, sooner than later, I was able to, the, the, the few became, and the few that were the noise were silenced by the many that we were able to make great progress with. Right, right. That, that's that's a wonderful way of hearing it and, and taking us through that journey. When you said you try to not internalize it, what were you doing to not internalize it? What what kind of things did you use? And I know that you said that you you had some strong leadership mentors around you. You had some trusted colleagues as well. And so I think it's really important to make sure you've got like an inner circle around you to help you. Yeah. The question is, what else did you do between, you know, the way I say it, Bridget, is between your ears, right? It's it's what's going on in your <laughs> mind and the mindset. What did you do to help that? You know, well, I will say prayer is a big part of it at that time because it was, it, it was, I think one of the things that prepared me is because I was an engineer and it's such a male dominated at that time space mm. that you're just so used to it. And I'm also a, a daughter of a military man. So I just had... I was used to these scenarios where I might be one of the only. And so I had already kind of had a, a, a little bit of resilience built within me that was hardwired within me as being the one and only of so many other opportunities in my life that for different reasons, the, the only woman, the only Black, the only woman in Black. Like, you know, you just kind of come up with these things where you you figure out how to try to be as resilient as you possibly can be. This was just another one that was going to be added to it. And it, you know, there were some days where they were extremely difficult, where there wasn't, there wasn't enough prayer, tears, or talking that was going to resolve the conflict. But you just try to stay steadfast because you, you know that your talent your, is enough to be in, in the position that you're in. Yeah. And I think that's really important here, listeners, that what Bridget is sharing is the fact that sometimes we just need to stand our ground, but also be very well grounded. And, you know, whether it's prayer or whatever you're using, just to make sure that you are being grounded, knowing that you've got the background, knowing you've got the experience, but yes, you're learning a lot as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and Bridget, I think that you, that was, that was, congratulations on what you did there. I mean, I think it's wonderful, right? But it also, I, I think that's probably shaped you beautifully for the future, right? And future roles yeah. and helping yeah. you. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Alrighty. Now, here's a question for you. Now, this person could be alive or could be from history. Who's your favorite yeah. leader and why? You know, I wish I had a favorite, kind of like favorite movie song, because I, when I think about leadership, music, art, there's so much I love about it. It's so multi-layered. Mm. I don't know if I have a favorite. There, There's so many that I admire. Like I admire, when I think about Nelson Mandela or Dr. Martin Luther King, I think about their servitude to society and their unwavering courage to fight adversity. And so it, those are like attributes that I would hope that when I, I look back or anyone look back on my time here, that they felt that I was doing something that was beyond who I am. But then there's women today that I look at, like Stacey Abrams or Bassanda Duckett or Rosalind Brewer or even Pinky Cole in Atlanta. I look at these women who are walking into spaces and shape-shifting them, being the first to do something. And when you can go in and shape-shift a room to have an impact and a change that resonates far beyond your capability that you thought was possible, 
that's the type of change you want to hope that you can inspire and, and be. And so I, I love the fact that there are people in my generation right now that are out here breaking barriers and shifting change in a way that is palpable. And so there's a lot of people that I absolutely admire, leaders that I admire out there today and in the past. I love leaders that that challenge or change the status quo. They disrupt it. And I think that's really, really, and I think that's something that you've just been sharing there. One of them, you choose one of them. I don't, I don't know which one you're going to choose. If you were to sit down with one of them, which one do you, do you think you, because they're going to get you to have a cup of coffee with them on a park bench, which one would you choose? I would probably sit down on a park bench with Dr. King. I was going to say, what question would you ask him? But tell me also why you would actually sit down with him on a bench. You, my, my father was a part of the civil rights movement in the South. And I know his experience of fighting for change. And I, and I remember asking my dad, what was it like to be jailed and hosed and segregated and beat, you know, all these different experiences. And he said, it was just what we had to do. There was no question. And I look at how we are today as a society or as our, as individual versus there was kind of this moment in time during Dr. King's presence in our world that he just did exactly what needed to be done without question. And I guess I would ask him beyond his faith, how did he find the will to keep staying focused and, and, and to be unwavering? Because it's, I think there was a selflessness that existed during that time that doesn't exist today. And I wish there was some of that there that we could find and hone in on and and harnessed because there's something to be said about the ability to be that selfless to where you know that it's a sacrificial selfness mm. Mm. that I don't think exists today. Yeah. It's actually very interesting because I think what, what I'm hearing you say is that the fighting for change is one thing, but then it's probably the bigger cause or the big purpose that that was number one rather than being about me, right, as an individual. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so and I think that's what a lot of people are looking for today in, in, in life. And I think the pandemic has really actually pushed them faster or into that area to say, Hey, really think about life, what's going on for you right now. And, you know, are you really doing the thing that you want to be doing? The number of executives that I get to work with, Bridget, who I even I who I speak to uh, or I interview or I coach, there's a lot of them out there today who are not doing what they feel is their purpose in life. Mm -hmm. they, they're still not sure what the purpose is in life, but they still don't feel like they're doing enough. One thing. Number two is that they feel like that they bored some of them. And it's like, mm -hmm. yes, but aren't you taking that big fat salary possibly, if it's fat, I don't know, if it's big, I don't know, but you're taking your salary every month or every week, but you're not bringing your A game to the table by the sounds of it. You're not fulfilling right. yourself. You're achieving something, but you're not being fulfilled. And so I think that's something that a lot of leaders need to start thinking about seriously about where they wanted to go. But I, I really like it, what you're saying. is about fighting for the change. Yeah, it's, the, it's the, the theory of those golden handcuffs, right? And people mm. are paid so well, handsomely, that they're willing to get uncomfortable with what the consequences are of that, right? And you have to make those decisions. That's why I always talk about those purposeful pivots, because at times, you know, what what might feed your soul might not feed your pocket at the same time. And in a perfect world, it can, 
right? But there are going to, we do have to make those decisions at times and it's, they're not easy. No, they're not. They're not. Bridget, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title, that statement, what does it mean for you? I, you know, I think leadership should always change. We kind of just alluded to it right now, talking about the the selflessness and the curse that it took back in the 60s versus today. I think it uh, it constantly needs to evolve to address whatever is happening. How you were going to lead through a pandemic, was anyone prepared for that, right? If you had the same structure in place, you probably wouldn't have survived it. So you had to recalibrate yourself and recalibrate what leadership looks like. You know, today, if you're not, if, if you don't have humility or empathy, the ability to be an effective leader, especially during a time, is the amount of crisis that we have in the world today. I, I don't know if you could really be such if you're just only focused on the bottom line. So I think, I think leaders have to be great students, not only of the people around them, but of all of the micro and the macro elements that are happening around them so that you can constantly adjust. We have to be malleable as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And leaders having to or should adjust on a regular basis, I think it's really important here. If a leader is today thinking about they're facing some sort of scenario, whether it be a challenge, whether it be a, an increase in business in a good mm-hmm. way and things like that, any ideas or thoughts on what they should do to really think about challenging their leadership, challenging where things should go? I think leaders have to. And what I've what I've noticed in some, I think, great leaders, especially lately, where this, you know, let's take the pandemic or all the different crises that are happening, social crises that are happening, the leaders that are, I think, emerging are those who have a good amount of courage, right? This constant state of conflict or crisis that we seem to be in on a consistent basis across the world requires courageous leadership. And I think for most leaders, you got to figure out what does courage look like to you? What are the values that you're truly going to hold on to? And then use that as, you know, a way of really trying to lead the company or, or your organization, big or small, requires you to make some courageous courageous decisions. I, you know, I look over the past two years and there's a lot of statements and commitments made by different leaders to address certain issues. Some were, I think you could tell, you could almost tell those that were written for them or where it was forced versus those that seemed to be coming from the heart. Vulnerability kind of came out of the messaging. And I think that kind of separated leaders. You, you could tell those who truly were leading from a place of courage and values and those who were doing what they felt they had to do because they were backed into a corner of doing so. And that's that part of the world is changing. So you have a set of values that you're leading by. You have a chance to actually leverage those in these moments. Mm. That's really great. And I, th- I like what you're saying about leading from a place of courage and values. And I think one thing here, listeners, is the actually the ability to understand and get it very clear in your mind on what courage leadership looks like for you. And I think, you know, Bridget saying that is really, really great because the thing is, I think people don't do that, Bridget. I think they just do day in and day out like it's just autopilot and they're not actually being quite deliberate and actually doing what they need to do. So they have to get very clear in their actual thinking as well. Bridget, you and I are living in a world that seems to be getting faster uh, with technology, social, business, data, everything in life is just getting faster and faster. 
What, mm-hmm. what do you reckon makes a leader very successful today or successful full stop in this fast-paced changing world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the ability to be malleable is, as we talked about earlier, I mean, just think about it. Yeah. If if we were steadfast and un, unmovable over the past two years, then my goodness, I, I would hate to see how you survived over this past two years if you were unmovable. And this is kind of the pandemic and all the different crises, both social, environmental, and economic, are showing us that we have to be, as leaders in this fast-paced world, very quick to have, well, to have resolve, to make a decision, to stick to a decision, what stand by it, I should say, stand by a decision, and then to be as malleable and, and versatile as you possibly can to adapt to all the change that's happening. And that's what I've one of the things I have loved about even my journey here at Genesis, you know, our leader has made some hard decisions to stick by some values, to lead with empathy and, you know, and to then, you know, chart a course for the company to make those changes. And some of them won't be easy, but it's necessary. So that's, you know, talking about leaders that I admire, Tony Bates, our CEO. I admire the the empathy, the humility and the resolve that have had to come to the surface over the past year to address all this fast-paced change that's happening across the world. And so, you know, I think when that happens, you start to, it's not just the leaders that you start to see that separate from the rest, but the companies will separate from the rest, right? Because Edelman has clearly made it, you know, I don't know if you look at the Edelman trust barometer. One of the things that came out of the trust barometer is that 69% of employees believe that or expect organizations to commit to sustainability or advocate on, they they look for advocacy around a belief or a value system, right? So if you have 70% of your employees and your consumers who believe that companies should have values and stick by them and companies should be committed to, when we think of sustainability here at Genesis, we think about it holistically. It's not just the environment, it's how we are showing up to our employees, our communities, to society, how we're looking at diversity and how we use our technology for good and our governance, it's all those things. And it comes back to that ability to say, well, having that in place and standing by that helps us to be as malleable as we need to be because that means we're going to address the needs of society, the needs of our community, the needs of our employees on an as-needed, on, on a in current basis. What we needed yesterday might not be the best thing for tomorrow. And that's, I think that's the beauty of having the ability to be malleable and and to lead with empathy and humility. Yeah, that's great. And I like what you say about making a decision, the resolve, having a decision, sticking with that decision, then having the courage and so forth to move forward Mm -hmm. and being malleable and and so forth. I think today, if if you're not being transparent, if you're not being real, authentic, and that people see right through what's going on. Yeah. And, And I don't know about your country as much. I mean, I do in the US, they do a little bit. But in other countries like Australia, like New Zealand, they call them out in front yeah. of everybody. No, no questions asked. Get called yeah. out, and and I, and I like that because it's actually holding leaders accountable, which is which is a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. You and I have been talking through about leadership through the lens of leaders, but let's change lenses or let's change gears and start thinking it from an employee's expectations because. Mm-hmm. Both you and I have been employees and uh, we understand, but also we have people around us who are employees today. How has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Yeah. You know, as I just referred to, there's this high expectation that employees have around 
what companies should bring to the table and how companies should lead. There's an expectation that com- that a company has a set of values, that they have a set of, not only that they have a set of values, but that they're living those values, that, that they could actually fill and see and see measurable progress to whatever those values that the, the company has stated to be. So for us, for example, here at Genesis, you know, one of our values, of course, is to lead with empathy. And we try our best every single day to make sure our employees feel that. And it's an expectation. We are, we have a responsibility as corporate stewards to not only sow into our community, but sow into our workforce and our employees have an expectation that we're going to do that authentically and intentionally. And so I think, you know, today, you know, the, the day of thinking that, you know, you're just going to give them a paycheck and that's enough to appease them has far passed. Right. We have to look at the whole of the human being and the whole of the human being requires way more than just financial security. They require us to look at the all the other aspects that help them to be whole as a person, to be whole as an employee. And that's how you actually retain and attract them is when you can not only pour into that, but show and intentionally that from the top down that there's going to be purposeful interactions with your employee base to make sure that they feel that. So we do surveys even here at Genesis and we are laser focused when we get those survey results to really make sure we're addressing any of the needs or disconnects that we might have. And we get very good scores, but I'm not going to sit and rest on our laurels and say, well, we're good. The majority feel that we're fantastic. No, we still have those who we need to figure out how do we address, you know, whatever issues might have. And there's no perfect scenario. But by God, we could make sure that we focus on making people feel seen, heard, and and whole as part of our Genesis family. You know, I like the word you just using about the whole is about the whole person. That's that's really important. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there today that do employee surveys, but they do nothing with it. And they play lip service. It's a chick tick in the box. It's mm-hmm. done. I'm really glad to hear what you just said there about, you know, you actually make sure, you know, that you, you get on with it and do things, which is which is brilliant. Bridget, we're going to talk now a little bit about the future. And if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out now and think about the future in five years from now, where do you see leadership being in five years? I don't think there will be a shortage of crisis that we'll continue to have to <laughs> respond to. So I, I think, you know, leadership always, always needs to start with a clear vision and strategy and ability to communicate that. I think that will is needed today and will still be needed five years from now. I do hope, as we kind of talked about today, is I do hope we pivot more to kind of that servant leadership. I think in more about the global implications about how we lead, how we can be more leaders with more humility and more inclusivity in mind when we are making decisions so that it's not just about, you know, this myopic, but it's kind of this we're looking across different landscapes of how our decisions could impact or affect our constituents, our consumers, our employees. So I I do, you know, there's some basics that will never go away. We'll always need to be clear and and articulate about how we articulate that vision in a strategic way because there's nothing worse than uh, your teams or your employees not even understanding what your strategic plan is. But so executing on a clear plan. But yeah, I would love to pivot more to that servant leadership. Yeah, that's great. And servant leadership is fantastic. And I think you're spot on what you're saying there. And we will be facing other crises as we go through life. And and because of technology today, we get to see it live, yeah. which is yeah. which is 
you know, what we didn't used to see in the past, but it's really interesting. Now, Bridget, it's been really great having you on the show here. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? They can find me on LinkedIn, Bridget Bell McAdoo, but always come to our Genesis site, which is genesis.com slash sustainability. Excellent. So they're going to be in the show notes. So listeners, if you want to check that out, that, that's all good. Bridget, once again, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. It's been a real pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an immense amount of fun. Awesome. All right, there you go, listeners. Hey, thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 